Praise the Lord. We're continuing on something we started last Sunday. Praise the Lord. And uh, I want you to be free in every area of your life. I want you to feel free to live from your spirit, not living from expectations of other people, not living from a, a sense of, of what you think is appropriate. I want you to feel that you can live free from the Spirit of God. Notice I didn't say I want you to feel free to do whatever you feel like doing. Because we have to know scripturally and just, I mean, well, God's Word is real. It's, the, it's our highest reality. And I need to tell you, not every feeling you ever have is valid. <laughs> not a, wow, that, <laughs> that had an anchor to it, didn't it? It kind of just... It sunk, but maybe it'll stay longer, right? <laughs> Not everything you feel is valid. Right? Earth shaking, right? I mean, you feel you want to smack somebody, you can't just say, gotta be me. <laughs> I, got, I can't deny myself here. I really want to hit Barry in the face. Am I supposed to just pretend I don't want to hit him? Well, no. You're supposed to not want to hit them. Not every time we ever feel like, you know, I mean, there, there were times I remember sitting in the van as a teenager feeling like, you know, as a teenager, there are various stages in life where you feel like life is over so many times. It just started and it's over already, you know, and it's over things that as adults we laugh about. But as a teenager, you think of the biggest things in the world, you know. I mean, and this was before text messaging, and so I can only imagine now how you feel when someone doesn't respond, or they gave you the wrong emoticon when they did respond, and my life is over now. I've, I'm a social pariah. I might as well just, just, just be like Elijah and say, God, why don't you just kill me now? I'm the only one. I'm the only one. And I, I, I remember feeling that way in, in the van, and I said to Mom, I said, Mom, I think I, I just feel like I just want to die. I just want to die. And I was expecting her to go, oh, honey. Oh, no, no, baby, baby, I love you. Oh, we all love you. Everybody loves you. That's what I wanted. She's all like, she's like, well, we just need to take control of that spirit right now. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> um... Some sympathy, please. <laughs> I'm assuming the sympathy would come after you get stop, stop acting like an idiot and saying you want to die. You'll get some sympathy later. But first and foremost, you need to stop talking like that. <laughs> Realize we grew up ministering um, in communities that were ravaged um, by uh, suicide. And it's no laughing matter for us. You know, it's a big deal. And... and uh, you know, you just don't play with stuff like that. So there's just certain things you don't say. Certain things in marriage you don't say. You should never say divorce. I mean, I, and I, I don't mean like, <laughs> I don't mean like you're talking about some celebrity and you say they, they, they did the D word. You know, I mean, I don't mean that. But I mean, it should never, and I realize that some of you have come out of that and, and God is, God's grace is big enough and is, is, his strength is big enough to have restored some things in your life. But now that you're married again, all right, or you're married or whatever, now that you're in this covenant, let's stick it out, right? And the best way to have a marriage last is not to leave a door open that, that I could escape if I need to escape. You just keep it shut. You don't say words like hate. 
Never say you hate each other. Because these things, you just, they plant seeds that are very difficult to uproot later. And so we're talking last week, and I'll, I'll, I'll recap some of that. We talked about the fact that you can, let's just quit faking it. Let's just, let's just stop trying to perform all the time. Let's, let's quit faking life. Let's quit showing up. Yeah, just like that. Let's just, let's quit showing up expecting, or, or I mean, I want you to feel free from the feeling that when I come to church, when I gather with other believers, or when I'm at home, I, need, I, I, have to, I have to put on a smile and put on a face, but I don't really feel it. Or act like I love people. Last week we talked about that love. And the Bible says in, very, in, in, in several places to love without hypocrisy, to love from, from, from a sincere place. Not to act like you love people. Not to just pretend like you love them. But to genuinely love them. So we said, and I'll recap it, we have three choices. If you're feeling like you're faking it, if I feel like I'm coming to church every day and I act like I'm happy to see Barry, but I'm really not happy to see Barry, hypothetically, Barry, if that's the case, I've got three options. I can continue to fake it, and, and what that'll do is harden my heart over time that, that I'll learn to, to create categories and, and compartments where I don't really love Barry, but I've become okay and really good at faking loving it. And that's a dangerous thing because it's a heart hardener and, it, and it, it works its way to every area of your life. If you continue in that path, then it won't take long till you don't even remember what it's like to really love Barry. So my other option is I can just be real with Barry and let him know I, I just don't like him at all. I just I mean, quit faking it. Barry, I don't like you. Stay 15 feet away from me at all times. That's, that's the deal. But I don't think that's a good option either, is it? So, is there another option? Yes, there is. The other thing is, let God genuinely change your heart. Quit faking it and let that love be real. Love from a pure place. Love from a genuine place. If you don't have that love, ask for it. If you don't have that love, spend some time with the king. Spend some time with our master because here's the thing. Let the spirit, let, let, let be led by the spirit, be ruled by the spirit because here are, here are the things we learned last week. The fruit of the spirit, which means the natural outgrowth of the spirit. Doesn't mean you don't have to try it. You don't have to, you know, synthesize it or try to make it work. The natural fruit of a life led by the spirit, it naturally comes out of you, is love. The natural fruit is joy. The natural fruit is, fruit is peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness, self-control. All these things naturally come out of a person who's le- learned to live by the Spirit. And that means letting the Spirit rule in your life. Letting love rule in your life. And I found this, and it's never failed me, that when I spend time where I get too busy to spend time with Jesus, and I get too busy to spend time in prayer and the Word, I get too busy to just be refreshed and strengthened in His presence. I let all these things fill up my life. I become more irritable. I become easier, less, less patient, easier to tick off. Uh, there are things that bug me that never bugged me before. Never fails. When I get too busy for Him, when I get too busy for His presence, those fruit are in shorter supply. It's not, it's not because he's holding it back from me. Because he's, he said, I've given you the spirit without measure. I've given you all the love you need. He, the Bible says that he's poured out 
his love in your heart by the Holy Spirit. He didn't budget it to you. He didn't give you a little bit. He gave you all that you could ever ask for. You are attached to the vine. There is never a shortage on his end. You're not having to show up at the post office of God and say, I need another package. I need another shipment. And when I tell you that, that you need to spend time in his presence, I don't want you to think that that's the only time he fills you. That's the only time you get your updates from him. Because it should be flowing out of you all the time. Out of your innermost flows rivers of living water. Not just, not just moments of refueling, but, but rivers but when you spend that time with him, you allow him to speak into your life, to correct what needs to be corrected, to encourage and refresh. Peter said times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord. And the presence of the Lord doesn't have to just be at your home in your basement with a CD on. The presence of the Lord can be all the time. But make time for him. Make time for him. So last week we talked about that genuine love, letting that love be real. Letting it be without hypocrisy. Today we're going to talk about how we talk to each other without faking it. What's the difference between faith and faith? Because some people don't know the difference. And some people have heard the right message because we know the power of our words. Guys, the Bible is full of, of commandments that tell us and, and, and instruction and God loving us enough to tell us that our words are not just a form of communication. They're more than communication. God, when he said, let there be light, was not communicating to light and saying, please, I'd love it if you just, you know, be. God was not communicating. He was, by his word, creating. And your words have creative force to them. The Bible says in Proverbs that life and death, in fact, I, I, I switched it around. It actually says it the other way. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and he that loves it will eat the fruit of it. There are several scriptures in Proverbs alone that talk about the power of what you say, that if you're, if you're smart, you'll eat the fruit of good words. You've got death and you've got life. Wow, that's a big deal. So here's the question. When I come with, together and I come to church and I want to I be able to become uh, sincere in my faith, I want to be able to be authentic, I don't want to feel like I'm putting on a show for anybody. So how do I talk? What about when things aren't going that great? What am I supposed to say? Because I don't want to fake it. I don't want to just pretend like everything's okay if it's not. But at the same time, I don't want to speak death into a situation with my words. The book of James says this, and we've talked about this, so I won't, uh, we've talked about it at length, so I won't spend too much time on it. But the book of James is very clear. This is a New Testament truth. Old Testament as well. But it's very clear that the tongue is capable of some really good things and some really bad things. And it says this, if a man wants to if a man wants to really be perfect in his life, he wants his life to, to let me, this is my paraphrase, if he really wants his life to come into line, if he really wants it to work, he'll get his mouth under control. If he wants to control his body, he'll control his mouth. He says that the mouth, the tongue, is like a rudder of a ship. Now we talked about this, but I'll say it again. The tongue is like a rudder of a ship. So 
let's use, let's summon all the nautical knowledge we might have in this room and pool it all together and figure this out. Which turns first, the ship or the rudder? The rudder, right? If the ship is turning before the rudder, something's wrong. Something's, there's, there's a storm or whatever. But if you want to control that ship, you turn the rudder. The rudder doesn't respond to the ship. The ship responds to the rudder. James says your tongue is like a rudder of a ship. It says it's like the bit in the horse's mouth. So what do you do if you're going the wrong direction? You don't, you don't say, well, the ship seems to be going east. I want to go west, but the ship is going east. I might as well turn the rudder to the east and just go along with it. No, you turn around the other way. Now, maybe you don't just turn straight the other direction, but you navigate with that rudder. I know I'm oversimplifying sailing, but I never claim to be a sailing expert or a boating expert or anything like that. But let's think about it. So when, when situation's rough, when things are stormy around you and your life is headed in the wrong direction, if your tongue is a rudder, do I speak in response to my situation or do I speak in a way that will change my situation? Right. You want to change the situation. If it's bad, you want to change it, right? So I want to begin to speak what God says about the situation rather than what I see about the situation. Well, I want to say, if I want that situation to turn, I better start looking at what the Word says and say, okay, this is what I'm going to start talking about because if I just say, well, yeah, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad all over, I haven't changed anything. I'm still going that direction. In fact, I've just lined up and said, that's the direction we're going to go for a while because that's the way my tongue is pointing. That's what, that's what I'm echoing. But if I want to change it, I don't have to lie. I don't have to make something up. I don't have to say something that's not true. Here's, what, here's the big misunderstanding about, about speaking what God says, about, about how to speak in faith as the scripture tells us. Here's the big un- misunderstanding. People feel like they have to lie. I don't ever want you to have to lie. You don't have to lie. There is no power in lying. None. Zero. It's not of God. God is truth, Right? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. He said Satan was the father of lies. So don't think that lies are ever of God. So do you think you have to lie about the situation? No. But let's just think about the situation. Let's think about Elisha waiting on top of the city as the city is surrounded by an army coming to get one old man. And his servant looks around and says, we're being surrounded. This is a bad thing. I should have got another job. I knew I shouldn't have done this. And Elisha says to him, he says, well, he says to God, he says, God, open his eyes. And when the man's eyes are open, he sees the host, the army of heaven surrounding the city. And he says, there's more of us than there are of them. In fact, that's what Elisha had said to him. There's more of us, more with us than there are of them. So now think about this. Before Elisha's servant had his eyes open, right? If you were to tell him, if, if Elisha said to him, there's more on our team than there are on their team, he might say, you're lying. You're just trying to make me feel better. So I die happy and stupid. That's what you want. You, just, you don't want to tell me the truth. But when his eyes are open, he saw it was the truth. So the question is not whether you should lie or not. You never should have to lie. 
question is, what's the truth about your situation? Because there's bound to be some things you don't see. And here's the truth that trumps all truth, is that God is bigger than any situation you've ever faced. His faithfulness is greater. His strength is, is mightier. There is nothing too hard for God. And so in every situation, I'm not lying to say this will turn out for my good because I am putting my trust in God. Now we're going to look at some examples in the scripture that will clarify this for you. Because here's the mistake. When you feel like, I've seen it so many times. We've got people that hear this truth and they get encouraged and inspired. And then what happens is they go through life and, and, and they've, put the, they've, they've used the word as their foundation. And at, at some point, though, things start to go wonky and weird and their heart's maybe not where it was at one point. They're maybe not so assured in the faith as they were. And they come and they get around other believers that they say, these are, these, are my, these are my believer friends. You know, these are my word friends, right? I have to talk a certain way around them. And they say the right things, but they don't really believe it. Or, and here's a tough one, or they're ashamed to say they're fighting a battle. And you don't need to ever be ashamed to say, I'm in a battle right now. It's not wrong to be in a battle. It is, in fact, very Christian to be in a battle. Jesus said, if I had to, you have to. It's part of your life. You should not be ashamed to say, it's tough right now. But I'm going to tell you something. I know that God is with me. I know he's for me. But I'm not ashamed to say, I need your help. God put us in a body. Some people are so afraid that they can't talk about their situation until it's over and they can give a testimony about it. Oh, I'll talk about it when I'm able to tell you how good it turned out later. But sometimes it's not going to turn out that good unless you get some people on your team and get some reinforcements and say, back me up on this because it's, been, it's tough right now and I'm not, I'm not breaking through on my own. I need intercessors. I need friends. I need brothers and sisters to stand with me. That's okay. That's good. When someone says, how are you? You can say blessed and highly favored, but you can also say, and I need you to pray because there are some things right now that are tough. There are some things that are coming against me and I need you to stand with me and you don't need to ever feel ashamed that you ask for help. In fact, you should, there, there, there should never be shame attached to something that God created. Shame came when sin came. When Jesus died, he took our shame. Shame is attached to sin, not attached to life. And so when God created the body to work together, to function together, to encourage one another, to strengthen each other up, there should never be shame in saying, this body part can't do it by itself. Do I ever feel like, I mean, do you guys, do you ever, do you ever get to that point in life where you're doing something that requires two hands and you're embarrassed. That, oh man, I, I'm lifting this heavy trunk and you're, my one hand is saying to the other hand, I'm so ashamed. I wish I could have done it on my own. I'm such a failure as a hand. I needed two. Do you ever, do you ever have a finger that just says, I want to pick up that banana by myself? And you say, you're just a ring finger. You can't do it. Oh, I think I can. And you struggle through life trying to carry a banana with your ring finger because you've taught your fingers they've got to do things on their own. 
Well, no, that's crazy, right? God created you with four fingers and an opposable thumb for a reason. You notice the thumb's different than all the other ones? In fact, they're all different. None of them are the same. And you've got to realize that as the body of Christ, none of us are the same. And sometimes it just takes two of us, two very different people working together to create something amazing, to overcome, to, 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 to triumph. Sometimes it takes a thumb. You've been wondering why you never could quite pick something up. and it, You needed a thumb. And the thumbs are weird sometimes. I mean, like, they don't look like us. They're just a little bit different. Maybe you have somebody in your life that's just a little bit different. Their gifting is not quite as understood as yours. Maybe they just, um, they're just a little odd. But there's something that thumb can do that the rest of these fingers can't do. And sometimes they need to work together. Often they need to work together. So if you come to church and you're too ashamed to tell people that when you're going through a battle, how are you ever going to win? I mean, you can stand and sling that out. And uh, let me tell you, there are times when you do have to fight something alone. And I know that. But I also know that God created a body. Jesus said there's power in agreement. There is nothing to be ashamed of to say, I need someone to stand with me right now. It doesn't mean you have to tell everybody your, all your issues. It doesn't mean you have to spill your guts to everybody and everybody in the grocery aisle. It does mean that you can find some people and not be ashamed to say, it's tough right now. I know the outcome, I know the end is good. Right now I'm fighting and I need help. Are we all okay with that? You okay with that? Thank God. You, know, you don't need to feel like you have to lie about your situation. Be truthful. But here, we'll see some things in the scripture. In fact, I want you to turn to the book of Romans. And uh, in turning to the book of Romans, we'll... Uh, this particular chapter that we're going to read from is going to recap a little bit what we talked about last week, and then it's also going to bring us into this week. Romans 12 and verse 6, or sorry, um, verse 4. I love to hear the sound of pages turning. I realize that sound may be becoming obsolete, but I still love it. And, you know, as much as I use this iPad, I still like having a physical Bible. And um, <laughs> I encourage you to get one. You can use your iPad, you can use your phone, but still have one of these. Um, just, just, do, just do yourself a favor and have one on hand. Uh, it's nice to have something where you can go and you know where everything is. I'm not going to make a big religious point about it, but... I think it's important that you have a, a book in your life that you treasure more than any others. and Not that you make it an idol, but that you really understand that it is the living word of God and it's, it's special. It stands out from everything else. Romans chapter 12 says in verse 4, For just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, listen to that. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So we are not the same person. We have different gifts. Those gifts should work together. 
Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. That's what we talked about last week. Let your love be without an act. Hypocrisy is, I mean, it's an act. And it actually is, is a word, it comes from a word that they'd use to, to describe stage performers. It's an act. It's not real. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be genuine from the heart. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Boy, and that helps us in our relationships with one another, doesn't it? To cling to what is good. To cling to what we know that is good. And though there might be some things around us and some situations where we see things that that aren't right, that don't match, we cling to what is good. It says be devoted to one another. Wow, devoted. It's getting into my personal space. Be devoted. Can't I just add you on Facebook? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Let me tell you, this is all a description of what a believer looks like. This is a description of of a believer's life. A believer is devoted to other believers in love. A believer gives preference to other people. A believer is not lagging in diligence, which means you're not lazy. You stay at it. A believer is fervent in spirit. Not fervent in spirit is the cure to your performance mentality. That fervency in spirit. Now really, I mean, knowing that God has approved you, He has qualified you, He has set you apart, knowing that we're not working for His love, we are working from a place of being loved. We're not working for approval, we are approved through Jesus Christ. And so the things we do, the, 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 the performance we play is not doing anything to curry favor with God. You've been given favor through Jesus Christ, you realize that first and then move from there. But also realizing that if I feel like I'm having a fake love with people, I feel like I'm having a fake being happy. If I feel like I'm having a fake excitement in church, be fervent in spirit. God is able to stir up a fire in you that's genuine and it's real. I told you last week when I was a teenager, I said, God, I'm not hungry like I want to be hungry for you. But I desire to be hungry. I'm hungry to be hungry. And that was my prayer. I'm hungry to be hungry, so make me hungry. As confusing as that is, that's what I prayed. And God gave me a hunger that was real. It's okay to say I'm not there yet as long as that's where you're heading. Where you are is not as important as which way you're heading and which direction you're going. I, I, I would rather spend time. I have more fun spending time with a new believer who's going 90 miles an hour in the right direction than a mature believer, somebody who's been a a believer for a long time and has just started to stand still. I'd much rather get together with a new believer that's way further back in the race but is excited and is headed in the right direction. 
So fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It says this, rejoicing in hope. We persevere in tribulation. We're devoted to prayer. We contribute to the needs of the saints. We practice hospitality. We don't just feel it. We, we put it to work. We bless those who persecute us. Wow. We bless and we don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's a challenging verse, isn't it? It means that there are times where it's okay to weep. It means that if somebody's weeping for a good reason, it may be the Christian and godly and spirit-filled thing to do to weep a little with them. But don't stay in grief. Don't give in to grief. That's a tough thing to navigate, isn't it? It's interesting to navigate. It's scriptural. This is New Testament. This is Word of God. So don't, don't think that I'm making this up. But it says, weep with those who weep. There is a time for you to feel like it's okay for me to join this person in saying, I feel for you. I feel with you. And I'm going I'm to sit here for a while. I'm going I'm to sit here on your couch and stay with you and, and feel what you're feeling and encourage you in the Lord. And, and not tell you that you have to get out of this in five minutes or I'm leaving. You know what I mean? Now there's a difference between doing that and feeding a spirit of grief and nurturing a spirit of grief. You, can, you could sit down with somebody and make them feel worse than when you first sat down with them. You can sit down with somebody and instead of helping them out, you keep them in. That's a mistake. You know, we've got friends like that. <laughs> Unfortunately, everybody's got friends like that who feed off your grief, who feed off your tears. And now that Facebook is a thing, they feed off it too. And if you were to ever, and please don't ever, 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 ever use Facebook or Twitter or any of those things as a sounding board for your, your lowest moment in life, please don't use Facebook. Please don't use those things because it just broadcasts your lowest point to everyone, believer and unbeliever alike. And you might get over it in 10 minutes, but it's there now. And there, it, you're stuck there, and you've just vomited over the Internet. And, and you know, it's a, there's a difference between that and phoning a friend and, or getting some people, going over to somebody's house and saying, I need you to pray with me right now. I need you to encourage me. Because what happens when you put that little thing out there is you might have some encouraging friends, but you'll also have some very much like Job's friends, some big discouragers that'll that'll just just love the fact that finally i finally i get to i get to partake in some grumbling with you i get to partake in some misery with you and they'll they'll wallow in it they'll they'll they will they will go all off and yeah i mean especially after a breakup or a hard thing in life they love it you need to just stay off it there's a time to keep your mouth shut there's a time not to broadcast it to the world but anyways, <laughs> there is a time to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. So you're never thinking you're better than everybody else. Be associate with those lowly. Don't be haughty or better than thinking you're better than everybody else. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And so... 
in, in these things. We're, we're learning how to relate to one another. And, and maybe it's been a challenge for you to say, okay, I want to be somebody who's full of faith. I want to be somebody who speaks the word of God. But I feel like I'm not telling people what's going on. I'm feeling like, I, I, like if I told people what I was going through, they'd think I was a failure. If you felt that, I know we all have at some point. If you felt like in order to, if I were to let people know what I was going through, if I was to let someone know what I was going through, they'd automatically deduct 10 faith points from me. I'd move down in their picture, and, and they're no longer going to call me for prayer because I've moved down. That's not what God created you for. God created us to be able to hold each other up and, and strengthen one another and say, all right, and be mature enough as believers that we don't hold it against someone just because they're fighting a battle. It's not anything to be ashamed of to fight a battle, especially when you've been created to win. Sometimes you need friends that will remind you about the end. Earlier this year, we spent a long time talking, uh, a few services talking about the, the promised land and the Israelites' attempt to get into it and, and some of the things they went through. And I know you may think, well, isn't that in the Old Testament? Aren't we New Co Covenant believers? But of course, the Scripture tells us in, in two New Testament books that they're an example for us. We should look at it, see what they did wrong, avoid that, see what they did right, do that. Because whether or not it's old or new, faith has been faith. And there's believing God, and there's, there are some certain things that we have to know as believers. And let's look there for a moment. And you'll forgive me if I repeat myself, uh, hopefully. If I say something I said last, you know, earlier this year, you, you forgive me, and maybe it'll sink in in a way it hasn't sunk in before. But I feel it needs to be said today. So if we need to repeat, I've, I've been redeemed from the fear of repetition. I've been told, and I don't know the science behind it, but I've been told it takes at least three times to, before someone really gets it, before someone really sinks in. So if you have to hear it again, you have to hear it again. <coughs> Deuteronomy chapter 1. Thank you, God. All right, here's what it says in verse 22. Then, or verse 21. 20. Anyone want to give me 19? Go on 19. No, let's go 20. I said to you, you've come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is about to, what? Give us. Not asking you to go take it. He's going to give it to you. You just have to show up. Walk in. He'll give it to you. It's on a platter. That's a great thing about faith. Faith receives what God's given. Faith receives what God's promised. Faith attaches to grace. Grace is what Jesus has promised, what he, what's been done through Jesus. It's a free gift of God. Faith grabs it and takes it and says, okay, I, I receive that in Jesus' name. I, it's mine because it's been promised. He says, I'm going to give you this hill country. And he says, see, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. He has placed it before you. Go up and take possession. That's your job. It's your inheritance. Go up, just take it. I've given it to you, just take it. 
As the Lord, the God your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you approached me, and this is Moses talking, and said, let us send men before us that they may search out the land for us and bring back to us the word of the way which we should go up in the cities we shall enter. Notice, this is the purpose of the spies, to go up and figure out which way they're supposed to go in, which cities they should enter. In, in Numbers, it tells us they were also supposed to say, they were supposed to confirm what God had already said about the fruit, about the land. He said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Just go back and tell them what, all the things I've been telling you are true. The thing pleased me, and I took 12 of your men, one man for each tribe. They turned and went into the hill country and came to the valley of a skull, and they spied it out, and they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us, and they brought back a report and said, it is a good land which the Lord our God is about to give us. And Moses cleans up history a little bit and doesn't say what the rest, they, the rest of the things they said. But you know that two of the spies said something good. Ten of them said something bad. Let's read what it says. And we'll, we'll go to Numbers and read what, they, what actually they said. In verse 26, he said, Yet you were not willing to go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents. Uh-oh. What did they do? When they got alone, they got hanging out to each other, hanging out in each other's houses, going out for coffee in their tents. What did they do? They grumbled. What's the difference between saying, I need, some, I need someone to pray with me, and grumbling? Because the Bible says in Philippians, do everything without grumbling or complaining. No matter how you feel about decorating the church. Maybe you were hoping you'd get to decorate the tree. And you showed up and they said, we need somebody to untangle these lights. And you felt complaint rising in you. And maybe the question came up, should I be genuine right now? (laughs) Because you know what? It's probably not a good attitude for you to be feeling like complaining. It's a worse thing for you to let it out of your mouth. Because something happens when you begin to grumble and complain. Not only does it change you and your heart, it changes the hearts of the people around you. It's poisonous. And so there are times, friends, I don't want you to be fake, but there are times when you have to just shut your mouth. And just say, until I can say what God says, until I can get the right attitude, I am, mom is the word, I'm thumper policy right now, I'm not going to say it. Now that's not being plastic, that's saving lives. You know, that's saying, okay, I am not going to speak death into the situation. I'm not going to poison the water around me. I am go- if I, if I'm not going to complain, I'm not going to grumble. And, you know, grumbling breeds grumbling. And, you know, that first person does it, and you feel for a a moment, somebody finally said it. Oh, thank God somebody said it. And we get in our tents together. Let's just talk about it. And there's a part of you that feels so good. Oh, the flesh feels good. Because the flesh has just been wanting to be to be nurtured and pet a little bit. I mean, it's so tired of being led by the Spirit. Where the Spirit says, this is what God says, but the flesh says, I want to uh, I want to just gossip for a bit. I want to grumble. I want to complain. I haven't whined for so long. And I've got a buddy. I've got a buddy that'll do it with me. Uh, let's just get it out there. 
And you think that by doing that, oh, you've reached a new level of Christianity where you are real and authentic and free. But what you've done is you've just made a choice because admit it, what's going on in you, you have two ways you can go. You can go God's way or you can go your way. You can be led by the Spirit or you can be led by the flesh, right? When you speak, you've made your choice. Both of those things are in you. You're a believer. They're both there. Now, you could choose to be authentically loyal to the Spirit or authentically loyal to the flesh. Either one is real. They're both real inside of you. But when you speak, you're making a choice which one you're aligning with, which one I'm being led by. When you walk down a road and you want to go that way, but the Spirit says go that way, how do I know which one you picked? Which direction? Your feet start moving, right? You made a choice. One's not more real than the other. One is more valid than the other. When you started moving your feet, you made your choice. What we have to realize is that words are not simple, inactive, passive things. They're powerful. They are in action. They are in action. Let me tell you. Sometime you go into your Bible, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you study the works of Jesus. You study the miracles of Jesus, and you see how many times he laid hands on people. You see how many times he healed people by just saying a word. Most of the time when Jesus healed people, he did not have to do anything but speak to them. Now, you can't tell me that words have no real power. They're just a form of communication. Because when Jesus spoke, things happened. And Jesus said this, and we are followers and disciples of Jesus. We're imitators of Jesus, and we've been given his spirit, so you don't have to pretend to imitate him. You don't have to be a faker, a poser, or anything like that. He gave you his spirit so you could genuinely be like him. If he did it, you can do it. And so his spirit was given to you, and here's what Jesus said. I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. I don't say anything unless he tells me to say it. I only say what the Father tells me to say. What if we lived like that radically? What if we lived like that? Where we refused to say something that was contrary to what God was saying, and we refused to say something if we didn't know that this was in the will of God, we just kept our mouth shut. What if that happened? Well, I guarantee you guys, we, we want more power in our prayer. We want to be able to be like Jesus and speak to a lame man and he can walk and speak to a demon and he goes and runs away. We say, God, amp up the power in my words. I want to, have, I want to, I want to speak like you spoke. And yet, if you had all the power you wanted and you were asking for, you'd have to really be careful about what you said time you stubbed your toe or got upset about something and spoke death instead of life. But he says, they grumbled in their tents and they said, because the Lord hates us. He's brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us in the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. He's just a big prankster up there. He hates us. He saw us being whipped in Egypt. He saw us being beaten. He said, that's not bad enough for them. 
They deserve worse. I hate them so much. I'm going to give them a little hope and bring them out only to kill them in the desert. That's hard to believe somebody would be that stupid. But they were. And stupid feeds off stupid. It's a, it's a regular three stooge formula. And, and you just get in the tent and it makes sense when you're with people that think like you. I mean... This math didn't work with people that were actually thinking it through. But when we're together, finally you get me. You see what I'm saying. Oh, man, like-minded. Because the Lord hates us, he did this. He said, where can we go up? Our brethren have made our hearts melt, saying the people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of Anakim there. All right. What did they say? Our brethren, our buddies, our brothers in the Lord, our friends, they made our hearts melt. How they make our hearts melt? By what they said. Well, they should have encouraged us. They instead discouraged us. You've got to know that you've got a part to play in other people's lives. And you got the power sometimes. Now, understand this. that You could say something like that to me, and I hope I'd be strong enough in the Lord. You wouldn't make my heart melt. I'd, I'd say, no, that's not right. But not everybody is at that place. you got to know it's important what I say. It's important. It's important that it's genuine. But it's important that it's genuinely based on what God says. You should not say the right thing simply because you know it's the right thing. I don't know how many times I'm going to have to say that this morning. I'm going to say it until I feel like it really came through. You don't just say something because you know it's the right thing to say with faith people, with word people, with biblical people. You don't just say it because it's the right thing to say. You believe in your heart. You speak with your mouth. Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he says in the end, what's going to condemn you or set you free is what you say. And he says you will be held to account for every idle word that you spoke. He says, if the tree is good, the fruit's good. If the tree is bad, the fruit's bad. So if what you feel coming naturally out of your mouth is bad, you don't need to just fix the symptom. You need to fix the cause. Because if all you're doing is feeling like, I want to say this, but I know if I say it around them, they'll get on to me. I know if I say it in church, I'll get in trouble. But this is what I want to say. If that's the way you feel, something's wrong in here. You need to address the real issue too. Yeah, keep your mouth shut for a little bit. But you need to address the real issue. The real issue isn't all just what you're saying. It's the fact that you want to say it so bad. Right? I want want you to not say the right thing because you think it's the right thing. I want you to say it because you believe it. Because if you don't believe it, there's no power in it. You could go to the mall and have the salvation prayer on a piece of paper and tell people, I will give you $50 if you'll just read this out loud. And they don't get saved. They could say all the right words. Jesus, I ask you into my heart, come and make me new. All of these things, they wouldn't get saved because there's no faith there. We're saved by faith. By grace through faith, we're saved. you got to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So you can't, I mean, they could parrot the thing. I mean, guys, if you're just get, tricking people into say some words, it doesn't work. They've got to believe it. 
You could say all the right things, and it has no power unless you believe it. Unless faith is really there. Verse 29, he said to them, Don't be shocked, nor fear them. The Lord your God goes before you. He will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness, when you saw the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carries his son, in all the way you've walked until you came to this place. But for all this, you do not trust the Lord your God who goes before you on your way to seek out a place for you to encamp in fire by night and cloud by day to show you the way in which you should go. Then the Lord heard the sound of your words. He heard the sound of your what? Words. And he was angry. And he took an oath saying, not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it. And to him and to his sons, I will give the land in which he set foot because he's followed the Lord fully. The Lord was angry with me also on your account, saying, not even you shall enter there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he'll enter there. Encourage him. For he will cause Israel to inherit it. I want you to see what God did through Moses and through Joshua and Caleb. He not only told them who God was, but he reminded them of what God had done. So one of the big reasons why you should go to good, good friends and, and be honest with them and be able to be open with them and people that you know know the word of God is so that they can say things like this to you. They can say, when you say it's tough, see, if you put on a face and act like it's good all the time, they don't know to say this to you unless they're just, be, just hearing from the Lord. And that's possible too, of course. But you know, if Jared came to me and said, man, I've got to tell you, I've hit a mountain I've never faced before. I've, I'm looking at a giant I haven't seen before. And this is, I've got to admit, harder than anything I've faced. My job as his friend is to say to him, you remember, this isn't the la first mountain you face. It's not the first giant you face. God did this for you. This is who he is. This is what he's done. Don't you forget who he is. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed. We need friends who will do that for us. We need friends who will be like Moses to Joshua and encourage him and say, you can lead. Oh, Moses, I can't be like you. I can't do what you do. I'm not you. He says, you don't need to be me. You're who you need to be. And God, is in, I'm telling you right now, be strong and be very courageous for God is with you. And if he's with you, you can do anything. And what, what Moses said to Joshua so strengthened him that it didn't take Moses any period of time to figure out he was the leader. When Moses died, Joshua took his place and stood up and stepped up and God affirmed it with the people. And Joshua was able to lead those people. He didn't have to go through a period of doubting himself. He didn't have to go through a period of wandering in the wilderness. When it was time to go in, it was time to go in because Moses spent the time encouraging him. Joshua was not Joshua by himself. He was Joshua because somebody said, this is who you are. And Moses knew who Joshua was before Joshua knew who he was. And it's going to help if some people know who you are before you even know it about yourself. Who are they able to say something to you and you can receive it in faith. Barry, this is who you are. Let me tell you who you are in Christ. I don't believe it. I don't feel it. I, I'm, I'm certainly not acting like it. Barry, forget all that. This is who you are. Be strong and of good courage. It's interesting 
that the first person to say, be strong and courageous to Joshua, was not God, but Moses. When he heard God, God echoed what Moses had said. And God had told Moses to say it. There's another time where where God says, and there's a big victory, and Joshua was there. He was leading the army. And it says, after the battle, God says to Moses, Moses, recite these words to Joshua about what I did today. Tell him, keep it in. The word recite in Hebrew that they use there means to put it in his ears. Keep it in his ears. This is what I did. This is what I did. This is what I did. I want you to read, and it won't take too long, but I want you to read in Numbers. We've read this several times, but it's, it's good. Sometimes you'll be the only one. Sometimes you'll be the first one. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you. And the you, remember we learned a couple weeks ago, was plural. Sift you all like wheat. He's demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. And he says, Peter, I pray that your faith would not fail. He says, Peter, when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. There's always going to be somebody who who makes that term for everybody else. I want you to to realize that it's good to have friends and brothers and sisters that encourage you, but sometimes you'll have to be the first one. You okay with that? You okay with being the first one? David came back from a battle with the Philistines. And David and his motley crew had become a little moving city. <laughs> and they had camped out at Zik they had set up at Ziklag. They had actually built some structures and left their wives and their children and their servants and their animals there. David and his men went off and fought the Philistines. They came back and they were tired. They came back and the whole camp was gone. The whole place, their their wives and their kids were all gone. Everything was burned. Every, all their possessions gone too. Can you imagine what that would have felt like? You come back and your wives and your children are gone. They took everything. It says David and his men wept until there was no more strength to weep. And there's nothing in the scripture that says they were wrong. It's just what they did. He wept with them. But then... There was a point, a fork in the road, where it's time to stop weeping. And some are going to turn to grumbling, and some are going to turn to encouragement. And out of all those men, the only guy to make the right choice was David. Because the other ones started talking about stoning him. This happened to Moses, too. Apparently, leaders are just bound at some point, <laughs> not to be stoned, but to be threatened with it. <laughs> no. I've never. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. But you guys have never said that. Um, <laughs> now you guys are good. You're new covenant, born again people. I, I, good stuff. So anyways, it says they start thinking about killing him. Because it's your fault. We went and fought the Philistines. Instead of being home with our families, we went off on another little jolly tour. Go fight the Philistines for Saul who's trying to kill us too. They're all grumbling, and it says, David 
strengthened himself in the Lord. And that Hebrew word for strengthen means he gradually gained strength. It was not an instant thing. It was a gradual thing. And he just began to build himself up in the Lord because there was no one else around to do it. He does it himself. And then he says, he gets that kingship back about him, and he says, somebody get me the ephod. And the ephod was what they used in the Old Testament to hear from God. He says, somebody get me the ephod. We're going to inquire of the Lord. Enough of this grumbling, enough of this muttering, enough of this complaining. Let's ask God what we're supposed to do about this. And somebody was smart enough. The, the priest goes, he gets it, they inquire of the Lord. He says, God, should we chase them? Should we go after it? And God says, go after them, overtake them, and possess it all. And he does, and here is a major course in leadership. There's never been a king like it that I've ever seen. There's never been a leader greater other than Jesus who was able to do this. But David, second place under Jesus, I'd say, in this category, because David turned those men who were discouraged and angry and complaining, and with his encouragement, because he knew what God said, he turned them around, and those men suddenly became fighting men again. And they chased down the enemy, they got their stuff, they got their families, they came back with more than they had before. Sometimes you got to be that guy. <laughs> you weep, and then you say, it's time to stop crying. My dad's last sermon from this pulpit. The Sunday before he found out he was sick. He preached a sermon called Tears Are Temporary. He didn't know that he'd be in heaven in a couple months. He preached a sermon called Tears Are Temporary. And one of the things he said was there's a time for tears, but it must always end in a shout of joy. Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's an amazing thing that God told him to preach that. We didn't know we'd need it like we needed it. There was a time to sit together and weep. And there's a time to get up and say, there's more for us to do. And we, uh, we, we're not honoring anybody to sit here and cry for the rest of our lives. Let's get up and take the land. God said to Joshua, you've mourned enough for Moses. Go on. It's time to go. He says he's dead. Move on. It's a time to weep, and it's a time to shout for joy. Numbers chapter 13. All right, so we're going to address the issue here. What do I say? I feel like I'm lying. If you've ever felt like you were lying to say, what God says about your situation. You felt like you're not being truthful. You felt like you, didn't, you couldn't tell everybody, you know, I'm not even allowed to tell you guys what's really going on. There's something wrong with that. You shouldn't have to feel like you're lying. You should feel like you're telling the truth above all. You should be able to tell the truth. Here's what the Bible says in Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Just confirming what God had said. 
Nevertheless, uh-oh, don't start with the neverthelesses. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Nothing wrong with the facts there. Moses actually told them to go in and find out what kind of fort- fortifications there were. Those facts alone aren't the issue. It's the attitude behind those facts. And it's really the outcome. It's not just the facts. It's what they predict the outcome to be that caused the most problems. A lot of times, it's not talking about the situation that gets you in trouble. It's your prediction of the future that causes you problems. It's how you think that situation is going to end and how you tell everybody else it's going to end. Because they both had the same facts that they brought back. But one of them said, here are the facts. Here's the truth. God is with us. Here's the outcome. We win. The other one said, here are the facts. We're little. They're big. We lose. They had the same facts, and they weren't ashamed of the facts. But they had a different outcome. Here's what they say. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living in the hill country. Canaanites are living by the sea, by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people, which is a polite way of saying whatever he said. Said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will, what did he say? We will surely overcome it. Surely means there's not a doubt in my mind, we win. I'm not doubting giants. I'm not saying they're not there, but I know we win. He says this, we will surely overcome it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people. They're too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a what? A bad report. A bad report. They flunked. They failed. Wrong. The bad report was not that, the, not, not that there was giants, not that there were forts, but what they said about those giants and forts. Because look, they gave a bad report of the land which they spied out, saying the land through which we've gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. What? And the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There we saw the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. There's the problem. It's not, it's not the giants. It's not the forts. It's what you saw about yourself and what you repeated to everybody else that this is who we are. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. The people wept that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to him, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us out of the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh of those who spied out the land they tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel saying the land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land if the Lord is pleased with us then he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land which flows with milk and honey only don't rebel against the Lord and don't fear the people of the land For they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. All right, guys. Did any of these people lie? 
I mean, did anybody make up facts? If anything, maybe the bad ones did by exaggerating. The land devours its inhabitants. Really? We're like grasshoppers in, this, in their sight. Really? But you, Joshua and Caleb, I want you to see this because so many people that I've run into have thought they had to make up something. They had to feel like they were lying. My arm's not broken. Your arm is broken. Here's the truth, though. You're healed in Jesus' name. You don't have to say your arm wasn't broken. You say, I broke my arm. Thank God I'm healed in Jesus' name. That's not faking it. That's looking to what Jesus says is above everything else. You, Joshua and Caleb go, yeah, there's giants. Yeah, there's forts. But if God's with us, we could take them. They're our prey. No problem. The difference is, the difference is not the facts. The difference is the outcome. The difference is what you're looking at. You see, the, Israel, the, the bad spies are looking at me. They're focused on themselves the whole time. I'm not big enough. We're not strong enough. What is Joshua and Caleb focused on? God. If God is with us, who cares? Who cares what they look like? He's stronger. He's bigger. You come to church, you shouldn't have to say. You shouldn't have to make up some story or just wait until you, you finally get over this thing before you can talk about it. You have, I mean, you shouldn't have to tell everybody either. But you got believers that you can stand with and trust with and say, listen, I need you to stand with me right now. Here's the facts. Here's what we believe the outcome is. Here are the facts. Here's what the doctor said. Here's what God says. Here's what my bank account says. Here's what God says. I don't have to hide it. Now, like I said, you don't have to tell everybody either. You don't have to be like, I'm bankrupt. That's probably stupid too. But you don't have to go through life with a plastic smile on your face, making up the right answers you feel that the right answers. If you don't feel like you can say that honestly, the problem is not your honesty, it's not your words. The problem is you gotta, you've got to really believe that. If you don't feel like you can say this is going to turn out, this is going to work out, God, I'm going to overcome, if you don't feel like you can say that honestly, then you need to be encouraged. Because the truth is you will overcome. There, the truth is there is not a situation where you can't overcome. The truth is God is bigger than all of this. The truth is that no matter what the giants and the forts look like, He is greater and if He's with us, you don't have to fear them. That's the truth. Facts and truth often meet head on, but the truth always wins. And it doesn't mean the facts aren't there. It doesn't mean you have to hide from the facts. You don't have to cover them up. You don't have to put makeup over it. It is what it is, and He is who He is. And he's stronger. So I don't want you to fake it and say, well, you know, I mean, I guess i got to give them a nice answer because I'm so ashamed to tell them that I'm actually going through something. If you're going through something and you need help, you need to tell somebody. But you don't need to tell your friend that's going to grumble with you in the tent. He's going to sit there and mutter about God and how, everybody, how it all failed you. All your friends are going to give you a pity party, blow up, make little pity party balloons for you. You need some friends that will encourage you. And I'm not telling you this to make you feel bad. I don't want, I'm, I'm not trying to make light of your situation. I'm telling you this because this will save your life. This will be the difference between you dying in the wilderness and going into the promised land. I'm sorry, it's not up to fake. We don't believe in fake. 
there's a scripture in the Old Testament that says that's actually prophesying against those who light a candle, who, who, who give an offering to the God destiny. Sometimes we, we misuse destiny. Destiny can be a good thing if you understand it in a biblical sense, but it's not a biblical word. But even if it was, all right, I get the point of destiny, right? Where God's predestined us to go, all right. But you know, the only way you get there is by faith and patience inheriting the promises. So you can't just go through life saying, well, if it's meant to happen, it'll happen. I'm sorry, that's not what the Bible tells us. Because that's just leaving your life up, just saying, well, whatever way I blow, that's the way I blow. And, and then, you know what? It's not Hitler's fault. I mean, you know, he, he couldn't help himself. He's just a puppet in God's hands. That's not true. You've got to take a stand on something and say, I refuse to be blown around by the storm. Instead, I'm going to speak to the storm and the storm's going to listen to me. And if it's not listening to me, I'm going to wake up my friend and my friend is going to say it too. And we're going to say it at the same time. We're going to agree with each other. Sometimes it takes two or three. Sometimes, you, I mean, just, you know, if no one else is around, no one else is standing with you, you've got Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit, you can do this. But uh, there's a reason he put us in a body. So let's wrap it up with this thought. You've been called to a body of believers, some who are new and some who have been doing it for a while. Be careful and how you open your mouth. Because what you say is more than communication. It's speaking life or death, blessing or cursing. And you don't want to curse something with your words. The Bible says don't be ensnared by the words of your mouth. David said to God, God, put a guard over my mouth. Put a guard over my mouth. Wow. Guard my mouth so I don't say something stupid. Job, when he realized he'd been talking about God wrong. He put a hand over his mouth and said, I've spoken of things I didn't know. So important for you not to say, get too far out into things you don't know what you're talking about. You don't have to. You don't have to have all the answers for everybody. It's better that you say, I don't know, than for you to make something up. <laughs> right? So you don't have to put your hand over your mouth later. But I want you to be free. I don't want you to feel like you're fighting alone and you're too ashamed to tell anybody you're fighting. Satan would love to divide and separate you from the body so that you're alone and fighting. I've known young men, old men, and I, I, I want to be careful in how I say this, but I've known young men bound in the grips of pornography that couldn't get free because Satan convinced them they could never tell anybody because they could never tell anybody about it, they constantly fought a private battle. And the only way they were ever set free is for them to tell, not to get up and tell everybody on the planet, but to, to talk to somebody who could encourage them and fight with them and, and say, I'm praying with you. And if you have a struggle, if you're feeling tempted, you call me and I'll make sure I stand with you. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. How many people have fought things they didn't have to fight? Because they were convinced that if I told somebody, they'd think less of me. If we're the body of Christ, let's be the body of Christ. If we claim to be brothers and sisters, let's act like it. 
Let's act like Jesus and strengthen the hands that hang down, the, the knees and the joints that are feeble, so that there'd be a straight path for the Lord to walk, so that people would run rather than be made lame. Amen? I love you so much. Love you guys so much, and I, I know that you love each other. I believe that that love is abounding and becoming more sincere and genuine every day. So if it is, if that love is sincere, if it's genuine, if that grace in us is real, and that faith that He's given us is the faith that can move mountains, let's be men and women enough to stand with each other and not judge one another just because we're fighting a battle, but rather realize that battles are par for the course, victory is ours.